بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد الحديث الخامس the fifth hadith of this chapter وبسند المتصل منا الى الامام الهمام محمد اسماعيل البخاري الامام الجعفي امير المؤمنين في الحديث متعن الله بعلومه وعلومه امين يا رب العالمين قال حدثنا عبدان قال اخبرنا عبد الله قال اخبرنا يونس عن الزهري حا وحدثنا بشر بن محمد قال اخبرنا عبد الله قال اخبرنا يونس ومعمر عن الزهري نحوه قال اخبرني عبيد الله بن عبد الله عن ابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اجود الناس وكان اجود ما يكون في رمضان حين يلقاه جبريل وكان يلقاه في كل ليله من رمضان فيدارسه القران فلا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اجود بالخير من الريح المرسله this is the fifth hadith in this chapter that abdan he narrates to Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi says hadathana abdanu abdan our teacher he narrated to us that he heard from abdullah who says that he heard from yunus who narrates from zuhri we covered the biographies of many of these before ibn shahabuddin zuhri and i will go back and refer to this high in a moment after we do the translation what is this high referring to this high is referring to tahwil explanation which will follow shortly tahwil in the sanad and he also imam bukhari narrates from bishr bin muhammad who says that he heard from abdullah who heard uh, from yunus and ma'mar both that they narrate from zuhri a similar text what does he say zuhri the madara the sanad zuhri he says that he heard from Ubaidullah bin Abdullah who narrates from Abdullah bin Abbas radiyallahu anhum ajma'in all of them he says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was ajwad nas was the most generous of all people ajwad nas this is a superlative form the most generous of all people His general condition was he was the most generous. But then on top of that, وَكَانَ أَجْوَدُ مَا يَكُونُ The most generous that he would be throughout, throughout his life, he was the most generous. Throughout the year, he was most generous. But the most generous moments of his life, the most generous days, most generous nights, the most generous time of the most generous individual was when he would meet Jibreel alayhi salam. Hina yalqahu Jibreel, or when Jibreel alayhi salam would meet him. Jibreel being the subject of this verb. So Jibreel alayhi salam would be coming to meet him. And he would meet him in every night of Ramadan. So this meeting between Rasulullah and Jibreel is occurring every night in Ramadan. And what would they be doing? They would be darasayudarisu. They would be reviewing with each other. So this has the meaning of mufala, musharaka, meaning they are engaged in this act together. It is not by himself. It is not a one way. It is both ways. They would be discussing with each other, reviewing with each other the Quran. Um, 
this meaning I just looked at this standard translation it is uh, is missing that point it just says here to teach him the Quran so uh, actually darasa yadrusu means to study darasa yudarisu means to teach and darasa yudarisu means to review with one another so both are teachers and both are students when they review with each other this is the verb here which is that translation is lost here anyway fala rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so rasulullah ajwadu bil khairi was more generous in uh, with the khair and goodness that he was given by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala khair is a very comprehensive term not only was he generous with money but he was generous with more importantly the ilm that allah granted him the hidayah that allah ta'ala granted him grants us through him the, the wisdom, the hikmah, the ma'arif that he was more generous with that min al-rih al-mursala than the strong uh, winds that are blowing and that Allah Ta'ala mentions the winds that blow before the rain so now going back let us examine first a few points about the Sanad, the chain of the narrators, and then we jump into the Matan, the text of the Hadith itself. First we have Hadathan Abdanu. Abdan is the first teacher of Imam Bukhari in this chain. His name was Abdullah bin Uthman bin Jabala. And um, this name that we see, Abdanu, which no, it means like Abdun is one slave, Abdan two slaves. How How did he get this name? It's not a typical name, Abdan, two Abds. Where did this come from? So, this is an example where many times if a person, his name is well known, then um, they, uh, people, sometimes even parents, when they're referring to the child at home, out of love, uh, they end up giving him a nickname. They take the original name and they make different changes to it. Um, sometimes when they're calling the individual when he's munada there's something we call tarkhimul munada or munada murakham where at the end of the name the letters are removed so we see Rasulullah says Ya Aisha too he would say Ya Aish so over here as well this is a, a change that happened in his name so his original name there are examples of this where we have different names of narrators they are in, uh, and scholars of the past that have changed likewise. Uh, so we have Ali as Allan and Ahmad bin Yusuf Salami, as, uh, which was his real name. Then we have Wahab bin Baqiya Wasiti, Wahban. So Wahab becomes Wahban. And so over here, Abdullah bin Uthman became Abadan. And there's further discussion about his name. But moving forward, because we have so much to discuss, we know by default, since he is a teacher of Imam Bukhari, and his name is in the Sanad, then we don't have to worry about, is he qawi or da'if, is he a strong narrator or a weak narrator. These type of discussions happen when we go to other books. But here, by default, we know that all of the narrators of Imam Bukhari are of the highest caliber. So naturally, he is as well, he is a thiqa, uh, meaning a trustworthy narrator, Hafiz of the Hadith, and he passed away in the year 221 Hijri at the age of 76 years. Um, he says, Qala Akhbarana Abdullah. Now, um, 
when, whenever Abdan, he says, I narrate from Abdullah, there's only one Abdullah he's narrating from. Because Abdullah, just like it is a very common name today, it was uh, as common or even more common in the past. So somebody might say, wait a second, isn't that quite ambiguous? Abdan, Abdan narrates, Abdan we already covered, is a quite unique name, but he's narrating from Abdullah. Uh, sometimes people, when they want to keep things anonymous, they say, you know, this is a ek bandaya khuda, one slave of Allah. One Abdullah, Abdul min Ibadullah, a slave from the slaves of Allah. So how do we know who is this? So based on the tabaqat, based on the generation that he lived in Abdan, based on his biography, we know that Abdan, he narrates only from one Abdullah. And whenever he says Abdullah, he's referring to one. And this Abdullah is none other than Abdullah ibn Mubarak. We may have heard his name, Abdullah ibn Mubarak bin Wadiyah al He is known as Amir al-Mu'mineen of al-Hadith. He's Kunyat Abu Abdurrahman. And he studied not only Hadith, but also Fiqh. There is a, um, a statement that they say, لِكُلِّ فَنِّ رِجَالِ Every subject has his masters. And in English, we also say that a person can be uh, a jack of all trades, but master of none. It's hard to be a master of all trades. So Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah, he breaks that qaida, that usul, because he was a uh, uh, jack of all trades and master of all. Uh, subhanallah. So there are various different paths to go towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And alhamdulillah, Allah ta'ala had granted him uh, exceptional uh, ability and qubuliyah in all of those respective fields. So when you come to ilm, for example, there is a um, sub subject uh, within ulum, the ulum of hadith. So with respect to hadith, he is Amir al-Mu'minina fil hadith. And all of the narrators, you will find that somewhere or the other, uh, if you look hard enough, you may find one or two people who may criticize them. It is hard to escape criticism uh, completely. In fact, the compiler of, Imam, of this Sahih that we are studying, Imam Muhammad Ismail al-Yamani al-Bukhari al-Jurafi rahimahullah, he himself, there were certain people who had objections about him. Mm, because of one of his statements, lovely bil Qur'an makhluq, and they had different uh, objections about him. And this really, uh, you know, made his life difficult towards the end, where mm, there was a false campaign against a smear campaign that he has the wrong aqidah, that he's that he says the Qur'an is the creation of Allah and um, he had a difficult time at, at the end when he was thrown out by people and finally you know he made dua to Allah Ta'ala that oh Allah you know if my if it is better for me to return back to you then call me back it's it's quite sad how uh, such a, a great scholar he he faced such a tragic ending um, and this is a dua that we learned from Rasulullah that if life becomes extremely difficult, uh, of course, taking one's own life, suicide is absolutely haram. Um, and is it permissible to ask Allah, Allah, allow me to die or kill me? Sometimes if a person is in extreme pain, this is where we have the whole concept of euthanasia and mercy killing. And um, what, what type of dua can a person do if the person is in that state? So, the maximum permission we have is that Allahumma 
أحيني ما كانت الحياة خيرا لي وتوفني إذا كانت الوفاة خيرا لي This is the maximum permission We can say Oh Allah أحيني Allow me to continue to live as long as life is good for me And Oh Allah Take me back to you If death is better for me يعني a qualified statement We cannot We are not permitted to say Oh Allah Kill me Oh Allah give me death So it became so difficult for him Anyway we're talking about Abdullah ibn Mubarak. So Abdullah ibn Mubarak rahimahullah is uh, one exception where uh, despite searching far and wide in all the books of the criticism of narrators, which is the ilmul jarhi wa ta'adil, where um, the narrators are ranked, we can find absolutely not a single criticism regarding him. So he's unique in that regard with respect to his hadith. Then... Uh, hadith is memorizing the words of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And categorizing those words into the different ranks That which ones are more authentic and which ones are less authentic That is the role of the muhaddith Then there is a separate role, the role of the faqih, the jurist The faqih, the jurist, what does he do? He applies the hadith in the given circumstances Right? What is the, when the conditions come, when the different masail are asked The questions are asked regarding the rulings Then which hadith should be applied in which condition and which hadith is a dalil and which hadith is um, perhaps mansukh, abrogated or has a specific um, meaning for a restricted condition so which hadith is the general rule and which hadith is for a specific condition all of these types of things are known as the ahkam, the ma'ani of the hadith one is the alfaz, the words the muhaddithin, they preserve the words and the fuqaha they apply the meanings, the ma'ani. As Imam Tirmidhi, rahmatullahi in his jamir, in his sunan al-Tirmidhi, it's also sunan, it's also jamir, both. He mentions that al-fuqaha'u hum a'lamu bi ma'ani al-hadith. As far as the meanings of the hadith are concerned, the fuqaha, they have the a better understanding. And I've given this example to you before, perhaps, but maybe not in this class, in other classes, uh, about um, uh, Imam Hanifa, rahmatullahi and Amash, who was a senior muhaddith, when someone came and asked him a question, he said, I don't know, someone asked second question, third, fourth, fifth. He asked him a dozen questions, he did not know the answers, and he became very perturbed. And then finally he said, okay, you know, he got annoyed at this point. He said, there's a young man, Nu'man ibn Thabit, and he is known as Imam Abu Hanifa. He's more well known as Imam Abu Hanifa. He said, go to Nu'man, go to Imam Abu Hanifa. He has a lot of answers to questions. And, and then if you do get your answers from him, come back and let me know what he, what he said. So, he was a senior, very senior old muhaddith. And um, the older they are, uh, the more value they have. Not just because they're more wise, but why do they have more value? Because uh, the highest objective of the muhaddith is Baitun Khalin if it has to be, but Sanadin Alin. To have a short chain. To have a shortest chain possible to Rasulullah Sometimes the, the text of the hadith, they already have it, they know the hadith. For example, if um, um, somebody, um, subhanAllah, you know, they, they have the hadith, they know the hadith, they're sitting in Medina to Rasul and he travels all the way to Dimashq. Abu Darda was sitting in the Jamia of Dimashq and Ja'a Rajulun, a man entered the masjid. He said, Ya Abu Darda, I have come all the way from Madinah to Munawwara. I have come only for one hadith. 
balaghani annaka tuhaddithu min rasulillah sallallahu alaihi wasallam which i have been informed that you have you narrate directly from rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam ma i have not come for any other need i have not come for any other need so if he traveled on foot or on camel for weeks from Medina to Dimashq, takes weeks of journey, uh, to learn a new hadith, that itself is super significant. But what is even more uh, bewildering is the fact that, guess what? He already knew the hadith. Because he learned the hadith from whom? The student of Abu Darda radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he would say that, Hadathana fulan, qala samiyatu Abu Darda, qala samiyatu Rasulullahi. I heard from my teacher who heard from Abu Darda, who heard from Rasulullah. So between him and this is Sunai, this is the two narrators. Between him and Rasulullah. So why is he going all the way to Damascus? So he can drop one name. Alright, subhanAllah. So uh, I, I, I just arrived, for example, uh, a few, few minutes while the khatar was going on, I just arrived from St. Louis. <laughs> so it's straight. From uh, inshallah, after this, I'll perform Isha. I perform Maghrib at the rest area. <laughs> so, uh, when I was in St. Louis, I was talking to some people, I was explaining this concept, and then I said, for example, if you hear my student who is a uh, uh, scholar in residence there now, Mulana Hamza Imtiaz. So, if you hear a hadith from Mulana Hamza Imtiaz, and he says, Oh, I narrate from my teacher, Minhajuddin Ahmad, then from St. Louis, you say, Oh, I come all the way to Lombard. Why you come to Lombard? To hear directly from me. But then, Alhamdulillah. May Allah preserve him. If you say that, I will say, Haddathana Mufti Rallahu al-Haq. Hafizahullah wa adamullahu dillahu alayna wa mata'anallahu bi'alumihi. May Allah preserve him and allow it to benefit from him. Then you, I will give you a sanad, Haddathana Mufti Rallahu al-Haq. Then you will say, oh, why should I have my sanad just from Minhajuddin? Let me travel to Johannesburg. So then you get on a flight to travel to Johannesburg with, you know, air conditioning and in-flight service. Uh, all, and, and beautiful, you know, even economy class is far better than the journeys of the past. You go to Mutilallah al-Haqsa. Now his teachers majority unfortunately have passed away. So um, the primary teachers that he, Darsan, he learned from, they have all passed away. There may be some that he got ijazah from afterwards and maybe alive. But then, so that's why a senior muhaddis is something people will look forward to. Because you can get what? Shortest chain possible. So, in any case, where was I going with this? Subhanallah. We're talking about Sha- uh, Suleiman Amash. He was a senior muhaddith. That's why a lot of people around him, because they want to get the shorter chain. And then this questioner, he goes, and he says, okay, go to Imam Abu Hanifa. He goes to Imam Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi He asks him the first question. He gives him an answer, second answer, third, fourth, fifth. All 12 questions, he gets the 12 answers right away. So he gets shocked. He goes back to the senior muhaddith, and he says that, I got all the 12 answers from this young faqih. And he's called Rav. Fiqh. And then uh, Suleiman Amash, he got so surprised. He said, oh, how did this man come up with all these answers? So he, he said, you know what? I, I just can't believe this. And he said, pause the lesson. Stop right here. Let, us, uh, let me go and ask. So he got up and he ran himself. Or he walked perhaps at his age. <laughs> hobbled or for Allah Alam. To Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi's dars. And he went straight to him and said that, yeah, yeah. Imam Abu Hanifa, where do you get all these answers from? Like, how do you come up with this stuff? So, um, the irony is, right, the, the irony of the matter is the answer of Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi And Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi said, Amma al-jawab al-awwal, fa bi hadithin rawaynahu anka, annaka hadassana an al-qaban ibn Masood, an Rasulullah s.a.w. kada wa kada. 
for example, or Al-Nakha'i. These are the famous sanads. He says that the first jawab is, the first answer is based on a narration uh, that uh, I narrate from you because you're my teacher in hadith. That you narrated to me, that you heard from Tabi'i so and so, who heard from Rasulullah this hadith. And the second answer is based on a hadith I narrate from you because you're my shaykh in hadith. And third answer is based on a hadith I narrate from you. All of the 12 answers were based on a hadith that he narrates from the muhaddith. Who narrated from the tabi'i, who narrated from the sahabi, who narrated from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Sulaiman Amash was min kibar tabi'in, senior tabi'i. Imam Abu Hanifa was from Sigara tabi'in, junior, very, very junior, but he was a tabi'i. He only met four sahaba born in the year 80 Hijri, passed away in 150. Most notable amongst the sahaba he met was Anas bin Malik, right? Akhru man in Iraq, the last sahabi to die in Iraq. Anas bin Malik. So, Sulaiman Amash is a senior tabari. He's not a Sahabi, senior tabari. So he narrates from Sahaba who narrates from Rasulullah. So, subhanAllah, this was a manifestation of the prophecy of Rasulullah where he said, In one hadith, he mentioned, Spread the knowledge from me, even if it may be one verse, one ayah, one hadith. And then he said, uh, it is very possible that the one you narrate the hadith onwards to, he may be able to extract such ruling, such wisdom, such principles of jurisprudence, such fine, intricate uh, details from the hadith that you narrating to him the words, but he will, he will mine out from it such jewels that may not even cross your mind. So don't hoard it to yourself. Transmit the hadith onwards, subhanAllah. And then Imam, uh, Imam Suleiman Amash, he mentioned a very famous statement at this point when he was overcome by the faqaha and jurisprudence and depth of perception of Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi. Very beautiful statement. As they say in Urdu, Abi Zar Qabil. Abi Zar meaning the water of gold, meaning it's worth writing in gold. It's worth writing this statement in, in gold. And when I teach students, I normally pause and just write the statement on the board. What is the statement? He says, he said, Ya ma'ashar al-fuqaha, antum al-atibba'u, wa nahnu al Oh, fuqaha, you are the physicians who diagnose the disease and apply uh, and prescribe the correct medication. Wa nahnu al and as muhaddithin, our role is to uh, stock the medications as ph uh, pharmacists. So we are like pharmacists or farm techs. We, uh, we uh, look at the medicines, okay, which one is uh, expired, which one isn't, and arrange the medication for you then what is your job? You diagnose the disease, look at the symptoms, figure out what's wrong, and then you apply or prescribe the correct medication. So that's what the faqih does. So Abdullah ibn Mubarak, we covered he was a muhaddith. So he finished pharmacy, graduated from pharmacy, preserving the hadith, like to preserve the medicines. Then he went on and became a tabib, a doctor too. The doctor, what type of doctor? Faqih. That's why he says, Lola nu'manu wa sufyanu. Nu'manu wa sufyanu. Lakuntu he said, if it wasn't for Nu'man and Sufyan. Now he could have said Abu Hanifa because Abu Hanifa's name is more famous. But this is a recurring thing. We see that they like to always what? Make things rhyme. <laughs> the Arabs, they like to make everything rhyme. Musajja or Khafia. So that's why instead of saying if it wasn't for Abu, Suf Abu Hanifa and Sufyan Thori, it wouldn't have that nice ring to it. So that's why he said, Lola, Nu'man, wa Sufyan. If it wasn't for Nu'man, Nu'man meaning? Imam Abu Hanifa Rahmatullahi and Sufyan. Sufyan is which Sufyan? Sufyan Athori. Imam Sufyan Athori. If it wasn't for do, these two giants, Lakuntu 
I mean, if it wasn't for both of them, meaning if it wasn't for the opportunity I had to study underneath these two giants. If it wasn't for the opportunity I had to remain in their suhaba. Right? Lakuntu kasairin nas. Then I would have been like the rest of the people. When he says, Lakuntu kasairin nas, I would have been like the rest of the people. He's not saying I would have been jahil like the rest of the um, public, the jahil, in, uh, non, uh, the ignorant people who didn't study knowledge. He's not referring to that. When he says, Lakuntu kasairin nas, the sa'ir in nas means he's referring to the muhaddithun. So he would say like, they're all the muhaddithun who study hadith. I would have been just like the rest of them just memorizing the words. But it's because I sat with these two faqees, that's why I got a taste of fiqh, the application. Otherwise I would have just been a muhaddith. Like someone came to uh, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and said that Sufyan ibn Uyayna, another Sufyan, but this is Sufyan ibn Uyayna, was a senior muhaddith. He has a huge halaqa because he was muammar, old muhaddith, in Makkah, outside of the Kaaba, he's teaching. And then why are you not participating in the dars? It's a golden opportunity. You are sitting with some unknown little young man in a corner who nobody knows him. So what did Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimullah say? He said, مَا فَاتَنِي بِسَنَةٍ عَالٍ أَجِدُهُ بِسَنَةٍ سَافِلٍ وَلَكِنْ أَيْنَ أَجِدُ فِقْهَ هَذَا الشَّابِ الْمُطَّلَبِ So he said, subhanAllah, whatever hadith I miss with a shorter chain, I can go grab it with a longer chain by catching up with one of the students. Yes, it will have one additional narrator. But the understanding and the fiqh of the hadith I'm getting from this shab al-muttalabi, this young man who is al-muttalab, muttalab, muttalabi, Meaning from the descendant of Muttalib. One is Abdul Muttalib and one is Muttalib. Who is Abdul Muttalib? We, have, we know Abdul Muttalib. Who? Grandfather. Abu Talib is uncle. Abdul Muttalib. Muhammad bin Abdullah bin Abdul Muttalib. Bin Hashim. Bin Hashim bin Abdul Manaf bin Qusay bin Kilab. We covered that right in the beginning. So uh, Abdul Muttalib is a grandfather of Rasulullah. And his father's name was Hashim. So uh, Hashim, there are four brothers, Hashim, Muttalib, Abdul Shams, Nofal. I'm not sure if we covered these four brothers in their stories. But anyway, one of the brothers is Muttalib. And, and, uh, and the grandfather of Rasulullah is Abdul Muttalib. His actual name is Shaiba. And, and uh, subhanAllah, his father is Hashim. So why is he called Abdul Muttalib? Slave of his uncle? No, what happened is uh, Hashim, he, 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 was tra- he had gone, he had, pa- he had passed away. And this young grandfather of Rasulullah was a boy, and he was abroad in Yathrib. Whenever we talk about the Prophet city, before Hijrah it was known as Yathrib. And after Hijrah is Madinatul Rasul. Madina just means city. So the actual name is Madinatul Rasul or Madinatul Nabi. Or if you want to make it short, there's something called Alif Lam Fi Ibadul Mudaf where you add an Alif Lam. And that's why it's Al-Madina. It's never just Medina. In Arabic, in English you write Medina, right? Makkah, Medina, M-A-D-I-N-A. Yeah, but it's, uh, Munawwara is an additional sifa we add, attribute, the enlightened one. But in English it's just write, it's written Medina. In Arabic it's never written Medina. It's not Mim Dal Ya Noon Ta Marbuda. It's always Al-Madina. Why? Because it, Al-Madina means Medina Tur Rasul. Short for Medina Tur. Rasul. So anyway, he was, he was in Yathrib, he was a little boy, and then he was an orphan. So some people, they came to uh, Muttalib and said that, you know, you are so generous and to be known as such a famous individual and a leader of the Quraysh, but guess what, you don't even care about your nephew, he's an orphan there, no one's taking care of him. 
you should bring him back to Makkah and take care of him. So he went to Yathrib and he picked up his nephew, Sheba. And he was entering with him into Makkah. So when he was entering to Makkah with a young boy that the people did not know, they didn't know because he was growing up there in ex- exile or not he was in exile but away from home. He just ended up growing up there because his father died with his uh, mother's family. And then, um, so people thought he bought a slave. So they called him Abdul Muttalib. And he was so uh, much, uh, he felt so indebted to his uncle who raised him that he adopted that name. He said, yes, I am like the slave of my uncle because he raised me. So he, he preferred that and he adopted that his own name and became Abdul Muttalib. So this uncle of Abdul, uh, Abdul Muttalib is Muttalib. And he would be like a grand uncle of Rasulullah And from that descendant of that Muttalib, you have Banul Muttalib, you have a Shafir. And the, his Shafir's son was Idris. And Idris' son was Muhammad. That young boy was Muhammad bin Idris bin Shafir al-Muttalabi. Otherwise known in short as Imam al-Shafi'i. Imam al-Shafi'i. Who was from the Muttalib tribe. So Imam Ahad bin Hanbal, you may have heard of Imam Shafi'i. You may not have heard of all the other people. Muhammad bin Idris, we don't know who Muhammad bin Idris is. Muhammad bin Idris is Imam Shafi'i. Okay, Imam Shafi'i we know, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi'i, Ahmad, right? Four Imams, you may have heard. I'm sure, I hope we all know the four Imams. So Imam Shafi'i is the Imam number three, right? Chronological order, he's number three. Imam Abu Hanifa is first, then Imam Malik is second, then Imam Shafi'i. He was born in 150 Hijri, the year that Imam Abu Hanifa passed away, Imam Shafi'i was born. And the fourth one is Imam Ahmad al Hanbal. That's why in this story he's a student. Who's a student? Imam Ahmad al Hanbal. Am I going too fast or too slow? I don't know. Okay, so Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, he was a student of Imam Shafi'i. He says that, oh, that hadith, the sanad there, it's okay. But I would prefer the fiqh of Imam Shafi'i because he gives me the understanding. So that's the fuqaha. So that's what Imam Abdullah bin Mubarak was. He was a muhaddis, then he was also a faqih, a great, great faqih, sahib al-madhab. One of the, he actually had his own madhab, but it, it died out. Um, and then, then you'll say, okay, these are all different subjects within knowledge. I get it. You know, different sciences, fine. He's, he's, a, he's a great scholar. But he wasn't just a scholar. He was a man of the pen, a man of the sword. He, he used to defend Islam. And he did uh, jihad fi sabilillah. And uh, he would also do hajj. In fact, he would six months of the year, he would go for hajj one year. Six months, he would go in jihad. Six months hajj, six months jihad. Every year, he, this was his tartim. Six months, he would give da'wah ilallah in spreading the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one year, and the next year he would go six months in hajj, going and coming. Then on top of that, you'll say, uh, oh, it's all about himself. No, it's all about himself. He was very, very generous. Going to the matan, the text of this hadith about generosity, he was extremely generous. And uh, to be extremely generous, he has to have something to give too, right? So he was extremely rich too, because he was an extreme businessman. Then you'll say he was a businessman. Oh, so he was a worldly guy? Okay, fine, I get it. He does hajj, jihad, and all of that, and scholar, but he must be very materialistic. No, subhanAllah, he was a great abid in Zahid. He's the author of the Kitab of Zuhd, in fact. Right, so he was ascetic. So when you have the list, like you have the list of tabaqat al-muhaddithin, then you, who, whose name comes there? Abdullah ibn Mubarak. Then you say tabaqat al-fuqaha, list of scholars. Whose name? Uh, fuqaha, jurist, his name comes there. Then you have tabaqat of sufiya, zuhad, mashayikh, ihsan, suluk, tazkiyah, tasawuf. Right? Islahun nafs, tathirul ruh, tazkiyatun nafs, all these different terms for different things, similar things. 
slightly different, different eras, different names. Anyway, when you talk about this mashayikh, whose name comes there? Abdullah ibn Mubarak. Subhanallah. And then you talk about rich, generous people, whose name comes there? Abdullah ibn Mubarak. So, that's why I was not exaggerating when I said he was a master of all. Subhanallah. So there was one Jew, he was, he was selling his house in Baghdad, and then some people said that, I get it that you're quite, I mean, this particular Yehudi, I'm not making any general statement. They said, you know, you're, you're so, uh, uh, so subhanallah, so greedy for money, but there has to be a limit to some greed. Like, you're out of your mind. What kind of asking price for your house? Your house, you have put it like tens of times over the market value. So then he responded by saying, you know, you're asking me the price for my house. Actually, it's invaluable, priceless. There's no number I can put on it. I just tried to come up with something and I came up with this number, but it's worth way more than that. Then they said, now you completely lost it. How can you say that? At least admit that you, your price is unreasonable. Then he said, I ask you a question. Can there be any price to be the neighbor of Abdullah bin Mubarak? So he was a neighbor of Abdullah bin Mubarak, rahimahullah. So there are stories. That's why somebody asked him that since you are involved in all of these subjects, in every, all of these different amal, if you have a few moments left in your life, if it's your last day, what would you do that day? Right? So this was uh, a question. There was uh, one of the, subhanAllah, our scholars, he wrote a, in one of his books, he mentioned that someone, he actually went on this survey to go around and travel and ask all the different scholars in different mashayikh, one standard question. If you know for a fact today is the last day of your life, how would you lead your day? How would you uh, live your day? What would you do in this day? And he was collecting all the information. Why? What, to publish a research paper, you think? No. Right? Uh, the purpose of it was so that he could implement and get good ideas of how to lead his life. Right? And the most phenomenal answer he got from one sheikh was that I would not make a single change in my schedule because that's exactly how I, I live every day. Imagining it maybe. My last. When the morning comes, do not be confident you will see the sun set. When you see it, rise. And when the sun sets, then do not have confidence that you will see it rise again. You never know when the time is coming. So somebody asked him, so Abdullah Mubarak, rahimullah, he said, you're asking me if I have a few moments left. He, he took that question and he made it like more graphic than maybe palatable to everyone. He, he gave a super graphic answer. He said, if the sword of the assassin is on my throat and is slicing through my throat, it's not going to take too long to do that, right? And I have that many milliseconds left to live. I don't even know if you can say seconds with the plural. Uh, so that many milliseconds left in my life. If it's possible for me to acquire the knowledge of one hadith and transmit it to someone, I would love to do that. SubhanAllah. Because of the hadith, Nadarullahum Ra'an Samiya Maqalati Fahvidaha Wa'aha Wa'adaha Kama Samiya Farubba Muwallakin Oam Samiya. That's the actual hadith. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep that person fresh and happy. Because it's the dua of Rasulullah Sasam. Nadarullahum Ra'an. Nadara means may khushu hurram rakeh. That's how we learned it back in, you know, subhanAllah, when you learn. That's the hadith. You know, they say in the in, uh, Indo Pak subcontinent, they have English medium, Urdu medium. <laughs> so, our, we were taught over here the, in Darul Salaam, don't get scared, it's English medium. And we learn Urdu as a language. But when we learn their ilm, we learn it from Arabic to Urdu. So, and, and we used to write our exams in Arabic or Urdu, not in English. 
right? And that's considered, it's like derogatory. Oh, you're Urdu medium, okay. Right? They have lower, na'udhu billah, right? Anyway, so our teacher used to translate it. That's why the Urdu words are stuck in our mind. That's how we learned it in the class. Meaning, then we translate it in English. That may Allah keep him fresh and vibrant. Uh, the one who hears my words, then he memorizes it, internalizes it, practices upon it. And transmits it further on to someone else. So whatever we're learning here, this is a good reminder. Hazrat always reminds me uh, you always tell the people that whatever you're taking spread it forth at the end <laughs> so that's why this is another reminder what happens in this hadith he hears it memorizes it internalizes it and he transmits it further but without changing it exactly how he heard it you can't mess it up it can't be a telephone game you hear something you say something else and this is called idraj <laughs> When you start adding stuff in the riwayah, this is riwayah mudraja. That is unacceptable in the muhaddisin. There's a specific term for it when you hear something and the narrator he confuses it and adds details that weren't there. You know, you know the game telephone where they sit in a circle. One person says something in here and then he says it. What happens? They, it, the final product is very very different from what the original statement was. We should not, we should not be guilty of that one. Then we're not gaining, we're losing. Naudu billahi min zalik. So, subhanAllah, he was uh, that Abdullah ibn Mubarak. I, I, I really have so much love and muhabba for all of the ulama and mashayikh and scholars and ruat and, and all of these narrators. But I, as you can tell, I'm going on and on about Abdullah ibn Mubarak. I love him very much. May Allah Ta'ala join us with him and all of the, our elders. Qala akhbarana Yunus. Okay, he, he narrates from Yunus. Um, Yunus bin Yazid bin Abin Najad, he is also a siqa, trustworthy narrator. And he was a freed slave of Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. Subhanallah. The, this is a whole topic of the Mawali, the freed slaves. It's phenomenal where we have slaves uh, that are pinnacles of the ulum amongst the tabi'een. So we have the Sahaba generation, and then we have these Mawali, the slaves, freed slaves. Mawla is a freed slave of Sahaba. So Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala an, Great scholar of Makkah, so we have his mawali, his freed slaves, Ata bin Abi Rabah. And then we have Imam Nafi in Medina, his freed slave, or Imam Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma, Sahabi, his freed slave, Nafi. And Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan, his freed slave. What, so, what were they doing? They were teaching their slaves, granting them and educating them, and not chaining them up and beating them, but rather teaching them until they became ulama. They became such great ulama, such great muftis. I mean, Ata ibn Abi Rabah is again slave of Abdullah ibn Abbas, former slave. And uh, the Khalifa, he appointed the announcement at the time of Hajj. لا يفتي No one has permission to give fatwa when Ata is still around in Makkah. So this comes under the bab of proving taqlid shakhsi. That they were making taqlid of uh, Ata in Makkah, subhanAllah. And... and and uh, same thing with Imam Nafi' of Medina, student of, a slave of Abdullah bin Umar and student of him of course, till he, the day when he was freed, he was crying. When Abdullah bin Umar came and freed Imam Nafi', he was crying, crying, crying uncontrollably, like what sin have I done that you are separating me from you? So he said, no, what happened is, Abdul Malik bin Marwan, he gave me such an offer today, which is an offer I could never, it was so difficult to refuse, uh, exorbitant sum for you. And today I said, no, I did not teach in the end to fetch a higher price to make a profit. 
I taught in their ilm for the sake of Allah. But someday I may slip, I may end up agreeing and selling you, and then I will lose all the thawab. It may not be that I was teaching your ilm to make you more valuable so I can sell you as a high-priced commodity. That's why I wanted to end this fitna and test for me by freeing you for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then, so we have this one as well. Yunus, it was a freed slave of Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. Oh yeah, another thing, when we're talking about teaching slaves, you know, this reminds us of what? U.S. law. What, it was illegal. When I see Dr. Rafiza, it reminds me, because this is part of his presentation that he did with the students years ago, and you know, we continue to benefit from him. In his presentation, he had that one slide where he talked about, well, I believe he was talking about the importance of reading, and reading uh, frees your mind, right? So in that context, he mentioned a fact, which we also study in history, but when I see him, it reminds me, is that it was illegal to teach the slaves how to read. Because if you are going to teach a slave how to read, then he will start desiring freedom, he will start thinking like a free person, you want to maintain the slave mentality, so it's a crime. You're teaching a slave how to read, you'll be punished, you'll be, you know, you'll be in prison, you'll be flogged, or whatever the case may be. So there is a culture where it's crime to teach slaves, and we have a culture where they were taught until they became leading scholars. And then, and then after that, we have Zuhri. Shahabuddin Zuhri, we talked about him, the one who compiled the hadith under the command of uh, Umar bin Abdulaziz. Now we come to this Ha. Ha, this stands for multiple things. The most uh, strong, uh, strong opinion, strongest opinion is that this stands for Tahweel. Tahweel in the Sanad means that there are multiple chains going on here. So instead of mentioning the whole chain from Imam Bukhari to Rasulullah uh, uh, multiple times, he, this is a thing which is a shortcut that, that the muhaddisin use. This letter ha, referring to tahwil. And I'll explain very, uh, sim- as simple as possible how it happens. The reason I'm making, doing the explanation here is because this is the first time the tahwil has appeared in the Sanad of Imam Bukhari. So, what he's trying to say is that this Zuhri is the madar of the Sanad. Meaning up to this point, he has two chains. And from Zuhri onwards, he has a single chain. Um, so Imam Bukhari Alhamdulillah is saying, like with this ha, simply we can say, saying, he's saying pause. And I want to give you another chain. So he says, وَحَدَّثَنَا And we also narrate from Bishr bin Muhammad. So this Bishr bin Muhammad is a teacher of whom? Imam Bukhari himself. He's going back. This Bishr Muhammad is in the category of Abdan. Okay, and the reason this ha is important is if you don't have the ha, then you would assume that Zuhri he says I my teacher is Bishr bin Muhammad. Is Bishr bin Muhammad the teacher of Zuhri? No, he's the teacher of whom? Imam Bukhari. Where are we starting? Starting back at the beginning of Sanad, another chain. And Bishr Muhammad says Akbarana Abdullah. He narrates from Abdullah. This Abdullah is the same Abdullah bin Mubarak. And this Abdullah says Qala Akbarana Yunus. He narrates from Yunus. Which Yunus? The same free slave of Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan so you'll say, wait a second, isn't it the same chain? Yeah, but there's wa ma'mar. Yunus and ma'mar, two teachers he has. Who Abdullah bin Mubarak has. Over here he said Yunus and ma'mar. And both of them narrate from Zuhri. So when you come to Zuhri, now we're back where we started. Okay. And they, in, in this new chain, with ma'mar, it says nahwahu. He narrates something similar to it. So sometimes he will use the word Nahwahu, sometimes he will use the word Mislahu. When Imam Bukhari, every muhaddis has his own terminology. When he uses the word Mislahu, it means the wording of the second chain is exactly the same. It's exact, like 100% copy. 
And when you use the word nahwahu, means the meaning is approximately the same, there is a slight change in the wording. That's the difference between nahwahu and mislahu. So, um, in this new chain, we have the new name is Bishr bin Muhammad. He is the, another teacher of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, teacher Imam Bukhari rahmatullah alayhi. And Unarism Yunus and Ma'amar Anzori. Now we can, I will, I'll try to jump right into the Matan at this point instead of going over more and more uh, conditions of these narrators. So, what does he say? He says, Kana Rasulullah The default thing is that Nabi was the most generous of people. Now, when we go over the definition of generosity, first thing is that we, can, we will not measure the generosity by the quantity of that which is given. The simple reason is, this is a true statement of fact. The Nabi Wasallam was the most generous. And it may also be a true statement of fact that if we measure how much he gave in the path of Allah in charity, uh, it was frankly what? Less than other individuals. But does that mean those individuals who gave more are more generous? So how do we define... Who is more generous? It is based on what? From that which we have provided, they give in the path of Allah. Meaning, it is based on the proportion. Um, proportionately, if some, somebody gives, you know, somebody has uh, $100 and he gives $90, he has given 90%. And, and somebody has, so he has given 90% of his wealth. $90 he gave, he has given 90 out of his 100, 90%, subhanAllah. Whereas on the other hand, if a person has $10,000 and he gives 1,000, he has given what? 10%. So this $90 is greater than the $1,000. Because the $90 is out of 100, 90%. $1,000 out of $10,000, 10%. So 90% is greater than 10%. And uh, an example of that, which is well known, that we hear the story of uh, the uh, when uh, the when Rasulullah was raising funds for Tabuk. So we have Umar anhu bringing half of his wealth, and Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu, when he was asked, "What have you left behind in your home?" He said, "I've left the name of Allah and His Rasul." Quantity-wise, what Umar anhu brought was far greater in quantity than what Abu Bakr anhu brought. But percentage-wise, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu was what? 100%. And he was so 100% and he did not want to seek anything in return. He only wanted to seek Allah. And we can say that with confidence, with yaqeen. Because Allah Ta'ala Himself said so. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Himself says so about Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This is Ghazwa Tabuk. Ghazwa Tabuk is happening when? Tenth year of Hijrah. Right at the end of Rasulullah's life. Before he passed away. And go back ten years was Hijrah. Before that in Mecca, we find uh, about Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu when he would be buying slaves. He would be buying slaves and he would be freeing them. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who were being tortured, like Bilal radiallahu anhu, Ammar bin Yasir radiallahu anhu. So his father, Abu Qahafa, he said that you are buying these slaves and then you're freeing them. 
there would be a relationship between a free slave and his master. We talked about that mola. And the freed slaves, they would have an allegiance that they would support their, their master, former master. So he said, you are, if you, first of all, why are you doing this? You're just throwing your money away. Buying slaves, sell it for a higher profit, makes sense. Buy when the market is low, sell when it's high, make profit. But what are you doing? Buy it, invest in it, fatten it, make it stronger and sell it. <laughs> no, what are you doing? You're buying it and then khalas, you're freeing it. It's like, what's the point of that? From the material perspective. Because he was not a Muslim yet. So then he said, okay, fine. You don't want to sell it. You don't want to make profit. You want to buy slaves and then just free them. Okay, at least do this, son. Why don't you buy strong ones rather than some of these weak ones you're buying so that if you have difficulty, they'll be there to support you. You're buying weak ones and, and freeing them. So it's loss upon loss upon loss. So Allah so then Abu Bakr Siddiq said, no, I only seek the pleasure of Allah with all my sadaqah. And Allah Ta'ala said this in the surah that you all know. What is at the end? And this is the person. The one who atqa, not taqi, but atqa, the one who has the most taqwa among the ummah. Abu Bakr Siddiq is that individual who's sahabiya, the fact that he's a sahabi is proven from the Quran. Remember when the Prophet said to his companion, Sahibihi, in the God of Thawr, do not fear, do not grieve, and Allah is with us in the time of the Hijrah. So his Sahabiya, the fact that he's a Sahabi, is proven from the Quran, and the fact that he has the most taqwa, his afdal sahaba, is proven from the Quran. Because Allah Ta'ala said, Atqa, the one who has the most taqwa, superlative degree, the one who has the most taqwa, he will be saved from the fire of Jahannam. Who gives his money in the path of Allah and he purifies his wealth, he purifies his heart from the love of wealth. And he doesn't want anything in compensation back from the one who he gives in the path of Allah. He doesn't want their physical support. He doesn't want their support as tough, freed slaves. He only seeks the pleasure of Allah the Most High. And in very soon he will be pleased. Who will be pleased? Abu Bakr will be pleased, subhanAllah. Not only Allah will be pleased, Allah is already pleased. But Allah will make him pleased. Ya nafsun mardiya. So nafs mardiya, the highest level. Allah will make him pleased. So, subhanAllah. This shows that Ajwad al-Nas, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, was the most generous, meaning percentage-wise, he gave everything and everything he had. Uh, can, can, is it possible to give more than what you have? How are you going to do that? Yes, it's possible. Rasulullah subhanAllah would take loans upon loans. You're taking a loan. Why you take a loan? To, to live in a mansion that you can't afford, maybe. Right? No. He is taking a loan from the sometimes Khabith Yahudi or Mushrik people who are taunting him and making his life difficult to give it in the path of Allah. Taking a loan to give. So there's over here the commentators of hadith, they go on a tangent which is such a beautiful, heartwarming and filling the heart of the love of Rasulullah a tangent of all beautiful stories upon stories upon stories of, uh, of the qasas of his jood, of his karam, of his generosity. For example, one time, one woman came in the presence of Rasulullah and she gave him a gift. 
of a very beautiful embroidered uh, shawl. And she said, I had been working on this, I knitted it, I embroidered it with my own hand for you and you alone. Like, why did she work so hard? For her beloved Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi at that time actually needed a shawl as well. And then he actually took it and he wore it. He used it, subhanAllah. When somebody gives you a gift, one is shukr bin lisan, with your tongue, you say, thank you, it's a nice gift. You know, it was a really beautiful watch. Wow. And then what do you do? You just put it in the closet. That's shukr bin lisan. That the person will be happy. Wow, you thanked him. Maybe you liked it. But then what is a higher form of shukr? Shukr bil fa'il. Shukr bil fa'il is you will be more pleased if he actually sees you what? Wearing it. There's a lot of examples of that. We can continue with that discussion. But we'll stop. So one, um, there's the gifts within human beings. What about the gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If you use the gift in a manner pleasing to Him, Allah has gifted you the eyes. So you say, thank you, O Allah, for the eyes. But if you use the eyes in the correct manner and avoid using the eyes in the haram manner, that is the actual shukr of the gift of the eyes. And likewise with everything else. So He wore it. But guess what? Not for long. Right? We're talking about charity, so you know where this is heading. So then what happened? Uh, one Sahabi, when he's passing by, he, t- he touched it. He started saying, he fe- started feeling it. And he said, wow, Ya Rasulullah, this is so amazing. This is nice. Um, you, it's so nice what you're wearing this today. Um, can you just give it to me? <laughs> Allah Akbar. So Rasulullah wasallam. Subhanallah. Uh, there's no, there's no la in his vocabulary. La, there's la in his vocabulary. Meaning, come on, this is the, the poets say that. If it wasn't for the la ilaha illallah, then then there would have been no la in his dictionary. Would have all been naam. Uh, yes, naam meaning. Yes, right. So he said that uh, If it wasn't for the tashahud, what tashahud? Ashhadu wa la ilaha illallah, la ilaha. If besides that, la, everything else in his life was naam. Yes, yes, yes. So he said, sure, why not? Of course. And he gave it to him. Now the other Sahaba they saw that Rasulullah it was so beautiful, it's so nice, and he not only enjoyed it, he was wearing it. And why did you have to go and take it from him? And they started attacking him. He said that wasn't right what you did. So then he said, please forgive me, please forgive me. Uh, I wanted to adopt this for my kafan, for my burial shroud, because it had touched the chest and the back of Rasulullah wasallam. What is, subhanAllah, in the second example we have here of Ghazwa Hunayn, the battle of Hunayn, when Nabi wasallam was coming back. The battle of Hunayn, there was a lot of spoils of war that came in. Now each one of these, I don't want to go into a whole tangent on the whole chapter of Battle of Hunain from the Sirah. We can go back and look at it. But there was a lot of spoils of war that came in, finally. Uh, and thousands of sheep and goats and camels came in. Okay. This is right after what? Fatih Makkah, the eighth year of Hitra. So Nabi was distributing it left and right. That became a whole issue with the Mu'allafat al-Qulub, with these new people from the Quraysh who just joined the army, the 2,000. 10,000 came from Medina and 2,000 joined, there were 12,000. So now then what happened is when he distributed, 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 people said, then there were random Bedouins who made ajeeb, very strange comments that you are not being just, you didn't give me, you didn't give me more, you gave that person more. They're attacking him. 
He's distributing it, Fisabilillah, and then he's facing attacks. Um, they start attacking him verbally, and then it, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, it became physical at one point. They started pushing him, pushing and shoving against him. They pushed and shoved him so much that he got, he had, he fell back, and his shawl got entangled with the cactus tree with the needles, and he got so stuck that it fell off of his body, and it was stuck on the tree, and he was now bare-chested. Subhanallah, and he fell down. Then he said, he's, he got up and he, he said a statement. He said, Subhanallah, this is like the maximum." Words of complaint. It reminds me of the battle of Uhud. In the battle of Uhud, when, when uh, the sword of the mushrik hit the noble face of Rasulullah such that the links of the chain mail uh, helmet, they penetrated through his cheek into his gums so far inside that his teeth came out. His Dandani Mubarak, his teeth became shaheed. So, and his face was bleeding. Then he put his hand on his face and when he was filled with blood, then... The maximum words of complaint What did he say? He said How can such people ever be successful when they have bloodied the face of their prophet? That's all he said. So over here also when he was pushed, they pushed him back his shirt got entangled with the cactus tree because it was a cactus tree with the needles. He said Wallahi I swear that in this entire forest of cactus trees, all this bunch of cactus trees that are here in this jungle, equivalent to all the needles and all the cactus trees, if I had animals, camels and horses, I swear I would have distributed all of them, such that none of you would have the right to dare say, I am bakhil, I am stingy, or I'm a liar, or I'm a coward. But, I tell you in the name of God, I do not have anything left. I don't have anything. Why are you asking me more? I give everything. They would come to him and they would say, A'tina mimma Give us from that which Allah gave you. One time Nabi Wasallam was going and there was, uh, he had a Najrani uh, shawl upon him. One person came and he grabbed on it and he pulled on it so far until the effect of it was seen on the noble body of Rasulullah and he said give me that which Allah has given you so Nabi Wasallam turned towards him and he smiled he didn't even rebuke him like why are you pulling on my shirt man give me a break leave me he did not have you know he didn't have any personal guard as it comes in other hadith when that woman she went to the house of Rasulullah to go and apologize because she was crying by the gra- her grave of her son. Nabi Sallallahu came and tried to console her. Then she, she, uh, um, she attacked him. She said, what do you know about my pain? Go get lost. Then afterwards they came and told the old woman, do you know that was Rasulullah consoling you? So what did she say? Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize him. And that it was him. So she goes back to apologize. So there's a side comment in that hadith. In that, in that whole hadith, is about sabr, right? But that's the actual topic. But in that hadith, she does mention that when I went to his house, I was shocked to see there was no guard. Oh, I had direct access, so I knocked and I waited. And I told Ya Rasulullah, please forgive me for uh, misbehaving in a rude manner with you because I didn't recognize you and I will be patient. 
So what did the Prophet say? إِنَّمَا صَبْرُ إِنَّ صَدْمَةِ الْأُولَى The true sabr that you will receive the full reward is in the صَدْمَةِ الْأُولَى when the calamity strikes. Eventually everyone learns how to deal with it. You got to be patient in the beginning. Bilal radiallahu next story is Bilal radiallahu says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa whenever he would see anyone needy, if he had anything, he would give it, give it, give it until he had nothing left. Then what would he do? He would start borrowing. So he would have accounts with the different Yehudi people and the different Mushrikeen and others where he'd be borrowing. Um, and he would be running up big accounts. And Bilal radiallahu said that I would feel bad because I'm the middleman. I don't really like what's going on, but I don't have what? much option in the matter because he's my master he's telling me go get another loan I would be like Ya Rasulullah maybe you, you know you don't need to get another loan why you have to give these people but kya keh sakte hain kuch nahi keh sakte hain so bas sarkar ka hukum hai right this is the command of my master I go get a loan get a loan and then I'm worrying man this loan business is getting too much it's piling up but he keeps on sending me back so then uh uh, so I'm going, I'm getting clothes, giving it out, distributing it, getting food, grains, getting it out. Um, so one mushri came up to me one day and said, you know what, I have a lot of, I have a huge warehouse, a lot of goods, anytime you need a loan, come to me. So then I started going to him. And don't take loans from anyone else, take from me. So I said, alright, fine, I'll keep on going. Then what happened, one day I was making wudu. Why was he making wudu? Because he had another job. He's getting ready for what? To call the adhan. Yeah, the muazzin has to make the wudu early, call the adhan, he has to be on time. So he said, I was making wudu, I was getting ready to call the adhan. So he's imagine, Bilal adhan is doing wudu, getting ready to call the adhan. And then this mushrik, he shows up. And he brought a whole group of other people with him. And he came and he screamed and started shouting at me. And he said, oh Habashi, oh Ethiopian, oh black Ethiopian. So the racism has been there since from there till now. We still have the dream. One day there will be no racism, right? So then he said, in a very rude manner, he said, that do you know how many days are left till the end of the month? Yani, it wasn't even past the due date. That's the weird, uh, strangest part. It was not past the due date. Due date, I ain't He's already screaming at him before the due date. How many days left? I said, oh, I, there's only a few days left. So he said, only four days left. If I do not receive my, the repayment of my loan in full, then I will make you my slave, and you're gonna go back to herding the sheep and the camels, and receiving the whip of my whip on your back, just like you were a slave. You were born a slave, you will go back to becoming a slave. So he said, I became very, very anxious. I got so depressed. And somehow or the other, I managed praying Isha Salah while I was so uh, tra traumatized by this. And afterwards, I went to Rasulullah and I said, Ya Rasulullah, I started off by trying to cool the matter by saying, Bi abi anta wa ummi ya Rasulullah, fidaka abi ummi ya Rasulullah, may my parents be sacrificed for you. By expressing his love before he mentions his concern. Um, I always told you that, Ya Rasulullah, why are you taking loans when you're, you're completely broke? And then these people are coming and they just have farmaishan right? They just have this wish list. And you keep on giving them. Now this man is coming and he says he's going to make me my, uh, my slave. I want to take your permission for what? To escape. If you give me permission, because he's the mother and he has to be on duty for the next Fajr Adhan. If you give me permission, I can just go in hiding. When you are ready and you, Allah Ta'ala gives you some money from somewhere, call me back. But until then, you give me permission literally to go into hiding so I can save myself. 
please give me permission. Uh, so, and then I, to, I, I told him this, I'm going. And I went back home. I started preparing my camel, putting my goods together, how I'm going to run away, and planning my escape route. Then, shortly afterwards, a messenger came to my home and knocked and said, Rasulullah is calling you. I went to the presence of Rasulullah in his court, and I saw four fully loaded camels were sitting there. Fully loaded camels with goods. Nabi Sallallahu gave me the Bashara glad tiding that the king of Fadak has sent these four camels loaded as a gift. And whatever you need to do with them, just get the matter done. He didn't give further detail. He just said, whatever is required, because you're in charge of all the accounts, just go ahead and deal with it. So Bilal went. First thing, he went to that mushrik and he paid off the loans. Then Rasulullah came and asked him, Did you, were you able to pull off the loans? He said, yes. Then he said, uh, was there anything left? Or is the entire thing was exhausted? He said, no, there's some money left. So Rasulullah said, please distribute that to those who are needy. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, we can keep it. He said, no. He said, Ya Rasulullah, we might need it. He said, no, distribute that as well. Then when he wasn't getting it to impress upon him, he said that, I will not return to my wife's home, to the Hajarat. I will not go and see my wife until all this is distributed. So he said, I started working on it, but I couldn't find enough people till the night. After Isha Rasulullah asked me, is there anything left? I said, still there's some left. He said, okay, I will sleep in the masjid tonight. So Nabi Sallallahu he spent the night in the masjid. And then the next day, he continued working and distributing. And finally, all of it was distributed. Then Rasulullah said, now I am ready to go back to my home. Subhanallah. So this is generosity of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Same thing when he was passing away. Same th- after Asr Salah, one time he got up. Normally he does the adhkar, tasbihat. But one day, he, without doing dhikr, he got up and he ran. Sahaba asked Rasulullah, what happened? He said, I remember there were a few gold coins left in my home. I didn't like to have that burden on me. I wanted to distribute that before uh, I have that burden on my head. Anyway, going to the hadith now. So this is how it starts. Nabi Sallallahu was the most generous of all mankind. The most generous he would be is in Ramadan, when he would meet Jibreel. Why was he most generous in Ramadan? Because number one, this is the month when Allah is generous. Allah is closing the doors of Jahannam. Allah Ta'ala is opening the doors of Jannah. Allah Ta'ala says, whoever does one farad will get 70 times. Buy one, get 70 free. Buy one, get one free, two free, maybe 70 free. What type of sale? You ever heard of that sale? Manada faridatan fi kana kamanada sabi'ina faridatan fi masiwahu. And whoever does enough will get the reward of farad. Subhanallah. So Allah Ta'ala is multiplying. Allah is generous. That is why Rasulullah was generous. Likewise, this is the month uh, when a person is fasting and his taqwa increases. And the essence of sahawa and generosity is that a person has ghinan uh, nafs. His heart is content. So the level of the iman is strong. That is how it will make a person generous. The iman of Rasulullah would be the highest peak in the month of Ramadan. And through the suhbah of Jibreel alayhi salam. As he would be meeting Jibreel alayhi salam. Why is he meeting Jibreel alayhi salam? To review the Quran. Why is he reviewing the Quran? Let me, there's more discussions here, but I will try to wrap it up because it's quite long now. Um, okay. So we have um, the reason he would why was he revealing Jibreel Islam? One is because uh, whatever ayat had been revealed up to that point, he would, he would reveal with Jibreel to strengthen it and to confirm the order of the surahs. 
and to confirm the order of the ayat within the surahs. Because the way the Quran is revealed was not revealed complete surah at a time, nor in the exact order that it is in the Quran. Uh, so different ayat would be revealed on different occasions. So how does it all sound together? When would that happen? In Ramadan. Every year there would be an annual review in Ramadan. Of all the recit of Quran that had been revealed up to that point. So the tartib of the surahs of in the Quran, this is not something that Usman ibn Affan came up with when he compiled the, the Quran or Abu Bakr in the first compilation. The tartib of the surahs, meaning the order of the surahs in the Quran, the 114 surahs, this is not qiyasi or ishtihadi through ishtihad they came up with it, but this is called tawqifi. Tawqifi means this is decided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught the order of the surahs and he taught the order of the ayat within the surahs. And this was uh, reviewed and, uh, and was, uh, subhanAllah, confirmed in the yearly review in the month of Ramadan. Um, and another, so uh, there's, there's a movement of some people, they say, oh, you know, why are the surahs in this particular order? Let's, uh, let's redo it. Let's redo the orders. بِعْتِبَارِ nuzul In the order of revelation. So the first surah should be اِقْرَى بِسْمِي Then should be مُزَّمِّل Then should be مُدَّثِّر There is a lot of hikmah and wisdom in the way the surahs are, in the order they are. And that is a description for another time in tafsir. We can come across that for inshallah one day. But that is one reason mentioned here. Another reason is because there are ayat that we talked about perhaps in, about naskh. I remember talking about naskh in uh, taraweeh tafsir for those who are here one day we talked about naskh abrogation so there are different ayat which were abrogated which were revealed which were recited as Quran and then they were abrogated they are mansukh tilawa wal hukum or just mansukh tilawa meaning their tilawa is not there anymore so which ayat are mansukh abrogated which ayat are muhkam will remain this distinction was made when in the annual review of Ramadan as well and another reason is to establish the sunnah of reviewing the Quran in Ramadan. So from that time till today, all the teachers and students, they review the Quran with one another. The whole year, 11 months, the Hifz teacher, what does he do? He listens to his Hifz students. In the month of Ramadan, what happened? There's a role reversal, where he asks the student, please you listen to me too, so I can refresh my Quran as I have to lead the Taraweeh. So this is Sunnah. And one, subhanAllah, beautiful Sufi explanation, which was so beautiful, is that this was actually as a mercy for the Ummah. How so? It is because in the Mubarak nights of Ramadan, the Mubarak Ruhul Amin was reviewing the Mubarak Nurani Quran with the Mubarak Nurani Rahmatul Alameen, Sayyidul Mursaleen. And this entire exercise would generate such tremendous amount of nur. In the Mubarak Nurani nights of Ramadan, the Mubarak Nurani Ruh Al-Ameen Sayyidul Malaika is reviewing the nur of the Quran with the Nurani Rasulullah Sallallahu The amount of nur that was generated was a rahmah for the entire Ummah. SubhanAllah. <laughs> that is another very beautiful reason why this happened. So, um, these are the hikmah and the reasons behind why this happened. And this was happening... Um, wait, SubhanAllah, how did you get here? Every night of Ramadan, when this happened, Nabi was more generous than the winds. How was he more generous? Because uh, the wind, for example, why the wind, first of all, the wind that blows before the rain, and the rain, it brings the rain clouds. Uh, the, the mushabaha, 
meaning the similitude is in the fact that he, you know, one is a water is a source of life. This biological reality is mentioned in the Quran. Every form of life, Allah Taala says, we made it from water. That's why when like the Mars rover goes out, what are they looking for? Water, right? Any planet can we find water? If you find water, then you'll find life. So and water uh, is a source of life. Now, uh, now water, there's a form of water is in the form of a well. Uh, so what happens when you're a well? It's a beautiful source of life. But guess what? People have to come to the well. Versus the rain cloud. The rain cloud is what? It comes to you. You don't go chase after the rain cloud. The rain cloud comes to you. The rain clouds are always moving. Like Juha. Right? Juha, you know, uh, he, was, he buried his treasure in the desert. Somebody said, Juha is a famous fool in Arab folklore. Like, and uh, they have his stories, his jokes about uh, how foolish he was and Hamaqa, one of the greatest Ahmaq of all times. But, uh, and then there are lessons in, his, in the stories of how foolish he was. So he buried his treasure in the middle of the desert. Somebody told him that, you know what, what where, where's your treasure? He said, I put it in a very secure, safe place. Where is it? I buried it. Where did you bury it? In the, in the desert. Oh my God, how are you going to find it? Do you have any landmark? He said, you think I'm stupid, a fool? <laughs> of course I have a landmark. What's your landmark? He said, there was a very, very unique cloud. <laughs> Alright? i never seen such a cloud like it. When I saw that cloud, oh, I said, I want to bury my treasure under this cloud. There's no other cloud like this in the whole world. I can never get confused. Right? So, so the clouds, what do they do? Do they stick in one place? No. Right? They, they're always on the, on the move. So likewise, Rasulullah's generosity wasn't stuck in one place. He was moving. He was spreading it. Just like the rain goes and gives life. Ya lillahi wa rasul. Oh, those who believe, respond to the call of Allah and His Rasul. When they call you, lima yuhiikum, to that which will give you life. So, just like water gives life, Rasulullah's teachings, the nur that He brought gives life. What type of life? Life in this dunya, life in the barzakh, life in the akhirah. So, He was like that. But He was even more generous. More generous. The reason the mushaba is there, the reason the similitude is mentioned is from the perspective of umum, meaning it's general, it's, it's not restricted, the rain goes everywhere, and the surah, the f- speed of it. But Rasulullah was more in the sense that uh, sometimes the, 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 the wind can also potentially harm. It could be a means of destruction if it is blowing too, fail, too forcefully, gale force, winds and hurricanes, and we saw that, may Allah protect our brothers and sisters, Muslim, non-Muslim, all humanity, we have concern for all humanity uh, who may have been affected by the hurricanes or tornadoes anywhere, recently or in the past or in the future. So the wind can be a source of pain. The Rasulullah's teachings are never a source of pain. And the wind brings the rain which will only help you in the dunya, whereas the teachings of Rasulullah will help you where? In the akhirah, if you say that it's incomplete. Na'udhu billah, it's not only akhirah. The deen is what? For success in? Dunya and akhirah. This is a very, very major conception. We'll say the effort of the dunya is for the dunya. The deen is for the akhirah. No, no, no. The deen is for what? Deen will bring us success in this dunya and in the akhirah. Subhanallah. So, so that is the, the, the teaching of Rasulullah He was more, righteous, more generous than the wind. And one last lesson we learned is that this generosity increased by meeting Jibreel. What did that teach us? That staying in good company will have an effect. So, if you imagine Rasulullah's generosity is increasing by meeting Jibreel, and this is mentioned, this is something not specifically, it's like clearly, explicitly mentioned. The most generous he was when he was meeting Jibreel. 
So inshallah, if we sit with sulaha and righteous individuals, pious individuals, then their righteousness, their generosity, their sifat will inshallah rub off on us as well. That is what is hoped. So uhibbu salihina wa lastu minhum. Right? I love the righteous ones, even though I am not amongst them. Perhaps by loving them, I will also be included amongst them. Who said that? Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi and the beautiful teacher that we talked about today, Abdullah bin Mubarak, he himself, again, I'll conclude with a quote of Abdullah bin Mubarak about Abu Hanifa. He said, uh, He said, keep on repeating for us. I love to hear stories of my teacher, Nu'man, Abu Hanifa. His dhikr, his tathkirah, remembering about him, is like the musk, not the fake musk, the original musk. Makarar, the more you rub on it, the more the fragrance emanates. So subhanAllah, the sulaha are such that when you sit in their company, imagine the nur, such that even if you cannot sit in their company, just if you talk about them in their lives, in their days, in their nights, in their amal, and, their, and how, they, how they led their lives, just the dhikr of that khair, of the, of the ashab al-khair, the people of khair, will also what? Bring nur to the hearts. Just like the dhikr of the shar, Brings dhulma and darkness to the hearts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to make the dhikr of the salihin and remain in the company of the salihin and love the salihin and inshallah be resurrected with the salihin.